0: It's thrilling. It's exciting. It's incredible. Yes, Emily and I have finished our coverage of the first season of Our Flag Means Death. And not only have we finished recording it, but now we have finished editing and posting the episodes. Honestly, a miracle given how the last couple months have been going just busyness-wise. Nothing bad. Just, you know, busyness Thank you all so much for listening to this. I will, warn you? We were very sad to see this show go. Uh, and so we go on lots of tangents and we talk so much. And this episode ended up turning into like, what do Megan and Emily feel about healthy relationships and long-term commitments? And we had a great time recording it and we hope you all enjoyed listening to it. As a reminder, we're taking the rest of August off on just this feed before we start back up reading One to Watch in September, but our Roswell and our Way of Kings coverage will continue on as normal. Thank you all so much for sailing with us on this journey and hope you enjoyed this, our final episode covering season one of Our Flag Means Death. Take it away, theme song. surprise i recorded emily's final thoughts before the finale before we watched it so enjoy that first emily how do you think the season is going to end i honestly don't know because
1: how could listen i know young love can forgive a lot of things, but I just don't know how Ed could forgive Steed for standing him up after something like that, especially to go back to his wife to abandon. Ed. I mean, listen, if he goes back to explain things and say, Hey, I'm leaving. I've made this choice. I would feel a little bit better about that, but I don't know how. I just think Ed has never been emotionally vulnerable before. And so the idea that he did and he got burned so hard for it, I don't know how there can be a happy ending to this season, but I want it so bad.
0: He does mention in episode four when they're first talking where he's like, it's not even a challenge anymore. So that, that like people just do what he says. People just do what he says all the time. So, maybe he'll see it as a challenge. Okay, well, we'll find out. Hi, everyone. Welcome to My Sister Made Me View It Miscellaneous, where we are covering the last episode of season one of Our Flag Means Death Wherever You Go, There You Are. Directed by Andrew DeYoung and written by series creator David Jenkins. David Jenkins, you're amazing! Emily, this is it. This is the last one until they renew our flag means death. But, uh, can I ask you, first brush, what did you think of this episode? I hate Steed. He's the worst. This, this didn't turn you around on him at all?
1: No, okay, if you remember my very first episode where I'm just
0: like, I would die for Steed. I do remember that. Steed should die. No. Okay, from my point of view. He can't go to sea with a clear conscience without fixing the life that he left behind. So yes, what he did to Blackbeard was awful, and we're going to have to deal with the repercussions of that next season, but I loved, I loved the stuff back in Barbados, and I loved that he finally got to really talk through his feelings with someone, sincerely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I'm sorry you hate Steed. You know what? I don't mind. That means he had a real arc across the season. He did. For you. Listen, I think
1: this is great writing. I'm not saying I hate the show. I'm not saying I hate anything about it. I am so impressed. And listen, <laughs> I'm so impressed how they took him from from who he was in episode 1 to episode 10. Like I think it's a fabulous arc and I love all the problems that he caused. I'm so excited to see how they're going to fix it slash deal with everything it is a very well written character i'm just so upset at
0: him right now so uh are you saying that he's gonna have to do a lot to earn back your trust the way he'll have to do with ed (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: yeah because listen and we'll obviously get into it This thing that has happened, this circumstance, the circumstances that Steed has created, it is not the kind of thing I feel that he can just walk in like he did with his wife and be like, Mm -hmm. I'm home. That is not something that is going to happen. There are going, he's, he's really going to have to prove, prove that he means Mm -hmm. what he says when he comes back.
0: Yeah. And like just walking in and saying, I'm home technically didn't work either because mary tried to murder him mary tried to kill him i this was
1: love mary and evelyn oh my (laughs) goodness i want
0: a show just about these two ladies and their escapades (laughs) i would say that this episode is like a dry run for steed a practice run of this is what you're gonna have to do Mm -hmm. to get back in with ed yeah yeah but uh Sadly, we say goodbye to a
1: beloved fictional character. No, we do not. Everything is fine. He's fine. Everything, Megan, stop. 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 No. Stop. So.
0: No. So. Stop. I've refused. It's a podcast. I have to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> I I also think he's fine, right? Yeah. We didn't see the body. And also, it's not that kind of show, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing.
1: I think I think Blackbeard's actions—that was great. It fit in with his actions so well. But the idea, because we're gonna skip all over, I think, for a minute. But you know, he cuts Izzy's toe. Blackbeard cuts Izzy's toe off, makes him eat it, throws away All Steed's stuff. Maroons the crew, kidnaps Frenchie and Jim, but the worst thing he did was throw Lucius
0: overboard. <laughs> and it's because he's trying to cut out his emotions, and Lucius has been the only person who can call out Blackbeard on emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. He's, he's his Jiminy Cricket. And Emily, do you remember what happens in the original story of Pinocchio? Pinocchio kills Jiminy Cricket. He does! Listen, Ed wants to be a real boy. He doesn't want to be this fanciful fairy tale pirate anymore. And Lucius is the one who can help him do that. And he kills Lucius for it. Or he tries to. Listen, I think Lucius is fine. I would put money on one mermaids. Because my I mean, it a couple. Say. <laughs> uh my other hope is that a ship of lesbian pirates shows up in uh season two you know with ann bonnie and them but i really want it to be mermaid i want to play a mermaid in season two of (laughs) our flag means death dear david jenkins who is now definitely absolutely listening to this podcast i would like the opportunity to audition to play a mermaid in season two although good luck finding a pair of seashells that would fit me (laughs) fit you in your marina trench shelf <laughs> more like double d shells am i right <laughs>
1: please mr jenkins a wonderful beautiful mermaid
0: i think i really would <laughs> my friend heidi actually helped me film a joke audition but i didn't like how the footage turned out so okay. That's something I might do this summer when I have a break between seasons. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump back to the beginning of this episode and go through. Thankfully, it's a longer one. It's back to the the full 37 minutes. Mm -hmm. And we start with Mary Bonnet and her living her very best life.
1: Yeah. The very first shot we see of her is her in the bed all alone splayed out starfish style which is the most comfortable style but it is shot in the gold of the of the sunset of the previous episode where it was like yeah and i just i love that gold and yellow means like happiness in this in this show
0: yeah because pirate Um, gold
1: but yeah she's she's talking about like
0: her kids kids have adjusted so well Mm -hmm. and her painting is flourishing and it's yeah Yeah. and i wonder okay maybe this is me
1: looking way too too far into into stuff that's um... what this podcast is for (laughs) the little girl's running around in pants she's not in a dress and i and and we find out later that mary is part of a widow's I say support group, but they're basically talking about like, my life started when my husband died because they got to pursue their own interests and their own likes. Mm -hmm. And I love that she is doing that for her kids. I feel like she's letting her daughter express herself and she's not raising her daughter to follow in Mary's footsteps of you have to do this and you have to marry this person. And the idea of generational chains being broken,
0: I yeah. am here for. And Mary's own style has shifted significantly. Like, uh she was wearing robe la française uh, style of the late eighteen hundreds, um, and now she's dressing in a much more like clearly it's still uh dresses and gowns and things, but in a much more masculine cut mm-hmm. with a free flowing in the sleeves and vest over it, and mm-hmm. a uh, she's wearing the black one. She's wearing the black necktie. Mm-hmm. I love
1: that i love that their lives are better without steed i love this we're gonna talk about this a lot steed is not a bad person he does not set out to deliberately hurt people but he also does not seem to grasp what he has done and that has also got to be difficult to come back and realize that these people who were your whole life Are so much happier without you. That you were the one making them miserable. Or you were. You were contributing to the situation. That made them miserable. Because I don't think Steed Mm -hmm. was setting up. Because if we see him play with his kids. He has a really good time. You know. Mm
2: -hmm. But.
1: The idea of how free Mary feels. Without this like. I almost feel like Steed is that ball and chain. Like the very first time she shows him. Her artwork. And he's like. Oh, the kids painted it, and he really dismisses all of Mary's hard work, but it's something that she loves. And I'm so grateful that she didn't just give up because one person didn't like it, you know.
0: Yeah, and everything we've seen so far of the marriage has pretty much been Steed's point of view. And it wasn't working out for him either because... Like, for both of them, it was an arranged marriage with no love Mm -hmm. at all. And they just, they didn't understand each other. They didn't like the same things. They didn't enjoy the same things. And I would say that he flourished at sea the way she did when he left. Mm -hmm. And it kind of takes them coming back together and talking it through as a crew mm-hmm. to, like, come to this resolution. But Steed is very much the villain of this episode because mm-hmm. he comes back and he ruins Mary's new life. He left without consulting her about it and now he's back again with no warning. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's never it's never addressed specifically because he wondered in the previous episode, did she declare me dead mm-hmm. because she really thought I was dead or did she declare me dead out of spite and I wouldn't say it was a 50-50, but I would say not even spite, but just convenience rather yeah. than my husband's missing and I don't know where he is. She took control of her own narrative and embraced her new identity and found what made Mary happy. I loved that. Because, yeah. uh, like, again, they're they're sitting around like all these widows together talking who have found... Okay, I'm going to say the secret to happiness. That's not what I mean. I don't mean, I definitely don't mean losing a spouse is the secret to happiness. I hope that did not come across that way at all. That is not what I meant. But the idea that Mary now feels free and that she is not afraid to embrace that. She's she's not trying to make things go back to the way things were. That she's brave enough to go forward Mm -hmm. and explore a new avenue of life and that when she does find what makes her happy she doesn't feel guilty about it I think that would have been really hard to have watched this episode of her being like oh no uh my husband's dead but I'm happy but I feel bad about it I'm just like you know what she had 12 years of a miserable marriage Mm -hmm. yeah enjoy your happiness now that you have it
0: and you and I both know a number of people in our, our real lives who either got married very young or got married very quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I wouldn't compare those to an arranged marriage where you had no say in the matter at all. Mm-hmm. But I, as an unmarried person.
1: A light-eyed spinster.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, I find it. For me, it's very important. I want to get to really know and understand someone and also have a deep understanding of how we would work together before I married them. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I'm unmarried is one of my recurring nightmares is about getting divorced. (laughs) Or like showing up on the day of my wedding and realizing I don't love my partner and I have to back out on the day of the wedding. And that's so embarrassing. So. Uh, Anyone who's dating me, don't worry. I've got a handle on it, and I'm very chill about it. I will. Oh, Go ahead. No, it's just, it's something I worry about, that I'm, I'll jump into something without considering the implications and end up hurting people when I have to run away and become a pirate captain at sea.
1: (laughs) My dad did sit me, I don't know if you were in a part of this conversation, I'm sure you've heard about this conversation, but he sat me and my other sisters down, my other sister down one day because we've been talking about marriage and what you want to look for in a partner and all of these things mm-hmm. and he like our family is you know be proper act proper show respect all those and so like you just you just live your life in a certain way but he said this one time and i was so shocked this came out of his mouth but this is one of my like top treasured memories of my dad
0: he was like how uh, how old were you around this time
1: i think I've gotta say, either just starting college or just getting out of high school. Okay. Something. So I was a little bit So typical, older, but...
0: typical marriageable age for where we grew up. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but he said, listen, I don't care if it is the day of the wedding. I don't care if it's an hour before the wedding. I don't care if you are like standing up there with your husband about to say I do. If you decide for whatever reason this isn't right or you don't want to do it, he said, I will drive the getaway car. If that is something that you feel strongly about, I will support you in that. And I think what he's trying to say is that it's never too late to mm-hmm. change your mind if if that yeah. comes. I mean, there's cold feet and there's, you know, the idea of like, oh, am I doing this right thing? Or mm-hmm. I think there's a difference between that and I
0: have made a huge mistake. And I love our parents because something that they've never pressured us that you have to be married. You absolutely, you should be in a relationship. Why aren't you dating anyone? Our parents aren't like that at all. And I think they raised us with kind of like the self-confidence to be our own. I mean, listen, they want us to be married. (laughs) Make no doubt about that, listeners. They want
2: Grandkids. Way more grandchildren than
0: our one married <laughs> sister is currently giving them, although props to her for coming out with so many amazing grandkids for them already. Our nibblings are the best. Yes,
2: they are. Um,
0: I don't know. I just – because our – I've always felt very confident that, no, I'm okay to wait for the right person. Mm-hmm right? And I don't need to get married just because it's something on my life's to-do list that I just have to do. Uh, I will tell you about the one dating conversation I had with dad on the car. He was driving me home from college one day. I think I might have said this on one of our other podcasts. I can't remember, but this is my treasured relationship talk with dad. I, at the time, was struggling through, I think my second or third time through trying to pass my statistics course, <laughs> my college statistics course, the bane of my college <laughs> existence. And as we're riding in the car, he starts a preamble to a fatherly speech, you know, and it starts off with like, I don't want you to see this as me telling you what to do.
1: Which props at to our the father. Same,
0: <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I want you to take this a little more strongly than mere advice. And in my head, I'm like, this is either about statistics or it's about dating. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I hope it's about statistics. And he says, your statistics class. And I go, oh, thank goodness. He says, Megan, your statistics class is going to take significant effort on your part to complete. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Internally, I'm like, no! He's like, it's going to take significant effort on your part to get married. And I don't know how much effort you're currently putting in, but I think it's clear it will require more than what you're currently <laughs> exerting. <laughs> I was like, "Yep, okay, (laughs) thanks, Dad." I was maybe 24 at the time, so you know, I wasn't like. (laughs) Because it took me so long to pass statistics, (laughs) (laughs) but you did. I ended up taking the. I did it. I still have nightmares about it. (laughs) So that's what I have nightmares about: divorce and statistics, (laughs) and statistics about divorce. (laughs)
1: Uh, didn't you have to reapply to the college that you went to because it took you
0: so long? No, that wasn't about statistics. That was about, uh, something else. Okay. So I went to do the Disney college program for two semesters. And so when I was trying to get back onto the school website to sign back in for classes, they're like, "Mm, you're not a student. And I called the school and I was like, hey, I'm on the college program and I'm trying to sign up for the next semester. And they're like, oh, uh. You went two semesters without taking any classes. We considered you dropped out. You were no longer a student of the school. <laughs> and I was like, I am on a college credit college program course. And they're like, mm, doesn't count. You have to reapply. <laughs> now, listen, my high school grades were good. My college grades were bad. <laughs> but I did it. I got back in. It was fine. I graduated. <laughs> <laughs> yep like to be married mm-hmm. or or have a long-term partner, either or. But I will tell y'all, I have not put in a lot of effort. I, uh... Listen,
1: you can, you can have a little bit of leeway because there was a pandemic for several years.
0: That was true. And every once in a while, when my uh, ADHD hyperfixates on the idea of modern love, I will download a dating app. <laughs> <laughs> but that usually only lasts a week or two. <laughs> Uh, especially when whoever I've really got my eyes on ghosts me and I'm like, ah, that's it, never mind, I'm done. No, my current plan is to just get rich and or famous. Let them come to you. Yeah. (laughs) But like, nerd famous. So, you know, professional Dungeons and Dragons players or, you know, Mm -hmm. nerd famous. Nerd famous. (laughs) I
1: wanted to touch a little bit more on, not arranged marriages, but, but the idea of, steed and mary getting married uh i i'm assuming i mean they look older i don't know if they're supposed to be younger or whatever but um like megan said we come from a the area that we live in where a lot of our friends got married right out of high school or the first couple of years of college that sort of thing i had i had a neighbor and and they she'd been married for a long time and they had a lot of kids and we were just chatting one day and she's like listen i I love my life. I love my family, but I almost wish I had not gotten married at 18 because I didn't completely know who I was. She goes, I still Mm -hmm. love my life. I wouldn't go back and, you know, not marry my husband. But she was just saying like, when you're 18, you're a very different person than you are at 25, 26, 27, 30, whatever. Um, and I remember all I wanted to do at age 18 was be married. Like that is the only thing I wanted. I wanted a boyfriend and I wanted to be married and that was all I wanted out of life. And Mm -hmm. I went to college, to a college with like one of the highest marriage rates in the country (laughs) Mm -hmm. thinking I will be married before I'm done with college. And it wasn't until my last semester began that I went, oh, I have no prospects I took English because I loved to read and talk about literature. Mm -hmm. I have no plans for my future other than be married. Oh, no. What am I going to do? And it turned out Mm -hmm. fine. Um, It's just I I wish I hadn't been so hyper focused on I'll be married and have someone else take care of me. I wish I would have taken that time to figure out a little bit
0: more who I was because I still did. It's just yeah.
1: yeah yeah
0: so I I love weddings. Oh, I've got them Pinterest boards for miles. <laughs> I used to collect <laughs> wedding magazines. Oh, you did? Yeah, but I I've, I've always wanted to be a creator. <laughs> a professional successful creator. And sometimes I'm like it's novels and sometimes I'm like it's movies and TV and that's like always what I wanted to do and so I'm like okay. Okay, I love how this episode is us talking through as a crew, just relationship <laughs> stuff. What I really want, I don't want someone who loves me and only me more than literally anything else in the world. Mm-hmm. I hate the idea of being pedestalized. I want whoever I marry one day or, you know, date long term, whatever happens. Listen, who knows? But basically, I want my partner to have their own interests and their own hobbies. And, like, even if they don't line up, you know, I love painting, they love model ships, um, (laughs) we can still, like, encourage each other and cheer each other on, but to be okay when we're apart, but be happier when we're together. You know what I mean? You know how dramatic high school relationships are that I have to be with you every second of every day. And if you're apart from me from a moment, it means you don't love me anymore. Why are you talking to other girls? Why did you look at that person walking down the hall? Does that, are you cheating on me? Do you not love me? And it's like, you need to have both the self confidence in yourself and the respect for your partner that you can lead separate lives You can co-captain your ship together, but you don't necessarily have to be the exact same person. One of you can dress in leather and one of you can dress in uh, fine fabrics.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of my really good friends got married and when she was dating her boyfriend, her soon-to-be fiancé at the time, I was living with her and one night she was home and I was like, oh was you know so and so not available and she goes oh no this is one of the nights of this week that we've agreed to not hang out and i i was just like oh no what's wrong <laughs> you know not realizing And she goes oh no this is something that we decided on as a couple that we would i would get to like i have to decompress and i decompress alone and this is a night that I get to myself and we sat there we talked for a while and it was something brand new that I'd never, ever contemplated before, but the idea of being separate and having separate lives and not being like joined at the hip. And all of a sudden I just felt this huge wave of relief because I didn't realize I'd been worried about that because like if I... I love my siblings, I love my friends, Mm -hmm. but you know what, if I spend too much time around you guys, I need my alone time, and I was so worried that it was going to transfer over to whoever I decided to have a relationship with as I would get sick of them, and that would ruin the relationship, and the idea that you can have boundaries, healthy boundaries in a relationship like that was not something I had learned. I have a lot to learn about relationships, TBH, but the but learning from other people and seeing their successes and failures is something that mm-hmm. I appreciate when they share with me so
0: and also something so i've always had roommates i think the most roommates i've ever had at once was living in an apartment with six girls at a time mm-hmm. and we grew up in a family with all sisters and when i first moved out to la i would have you know just one or two roommates at a time in order to like cut costs and stuff and it wasn't until Uh, just after pandemic started that I was in, you know, a place financially. And I've got to live completely on my own for the first time ever in my early 30s. And I really love it. Like, Mary, I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Mary, I get it. And Emily, you're a Uh, your house sitting for our parents while they're away for an extended period of time. And so, although they keep inviting people to stay with you. Oh my
1: gosh, they keep inviting people to stay without (laughs) asking me first.
0: But you've also got the chance to live by yourself. And I could forever. Like, I'm really happy with just me and my cats. And I get what witches are all about now. (laughs) And so, because we live in a time where it's okay for us to have our own independent careers and like our own secure sources of income... I don't have to get married. I don't need an arranged marriage. You don't need an emergency
1: stash of family jewels in case you have to run away from your husband in the middle of the night.
0: Yeah. So I really am in a position where I really don't have to be with someone unless I am absolutely in love with them and I want them. The way that Mary's discovered... Uh, her relationship with Doug. I mean, she could have been a widow in mourning and stayed, you know, just lived her life alone the way that Evelyn does at the mortuary. (laughs) And that's something that not everyone has the convenience to do, whether it's pressure from family or pressure from money or just, uh, moving really fast because they're, they're just feeling, you know, the urge, the pressure. And, it's nice to be able to know, like, with great confidence that if I if I do marry, I want it to be for love. <sighs> oh, but I better date first. I mean, I've only officially dated that one guy for one week in college for his PlayStation, and that was not a stable basis for a relationship. Well, now that I've now that I've finished my ten years of working for the crown i've hit my <laughs> career goals should i start dating listeners should i start dating <laughs> twitter poll twitter poll <laughs> and i'll consider it <laughs> i might not i shouldn't proposition people over a podcast that's probably <laughs> a bad move you have to meet me in real life sorry i don't know how you'll do that now that the ren was is over to say, and you have i have to zero social plans <laughs> All right, next year, I will take applicants on dates to the Ren Fair, and we will uh, throw axes and see if we are
1: compatible. Compatible. What
0: was this? That was two waveforms <laughs> joining into one waveform.
1: I have not had a great success in dating either. Uh, I've gone on dates, some of them I've really enjoyed, some not so much. Uh, there was one guy that, uh, from work that I used to, I used to go out on dates with and we always had a good time and it was fun, um, until I found out we, we would go out and just walk the campus and just talk for hours and it was really, really fun. But I discovered one night that he would tell his roommates that he was going to the library instead of being on a date. And at one point I found that out when he didn't like pull me aside, but he like brought me to like the back way somewhere. And he was like, Oh, I didn't want to run into one of my roommates. And that's when I found out that he would tell his roommates he was going to the library, not that he was going on a date with me. <laughs> that kind of ruined, ruined everything. So, uh, have not had a great track record would like a better track record. <laughs>
0: I know. Listen, that, I know. That's like something from a movie, I Emily. I know. I know. Wow. Uh I kinda like that we took 20 minutes to talk about relationships. I
1: do too. Um, but now let's
0: talk about a fictional relationships. So
1: yeah. Uh, a lot of fun dating things, a lot of not fun dating things. I really connected with Mary in this episode. Very hard. Um, because Steed is the worst. Great actor, character is wonderful. This episode, you were hundred percent correct. Steed is the villain. Yeah,
0: he doesn't. He doesn't realize his effect.
1: Yeah, like the very first shot, because the very first shot we have of Mary is facing down on the bed. She's all like splayed out, enjoying having a wonderful night's sleep. Steed is back. He has taken up the entire bed. She is delegated off to like the edge of the bed and he wakes up and he's like oh i had a wonderful night's sleep but nothing's like sleeping on the ocean and i'm like dude bad subject sore subject don't bring
0: it up Ugh. it's it's what we've seen him do throughout the whole season where he's ignoring other what the emotions other people are going through because he just sort of has a picture of what's happening at any given time and he doesn't really notice when other people are uncomfortable like the the only time he really twigged to anyone else's moods and um objections was ed like he could read ed's attitude he could read he could read ed and he can't read mary
1: he can't read his kids either like
0: He cannot. So
1: here is one thing I found interesting because in like the very, we talked about this in the first episode. There's a scene with his family at dinner and the wife and two kids are at one end of the table and he is delegated to the other end of the table. And you were like, is this really happening or is this how he feels emotionally? And in this scene, I literally think they are trying to get as far away from him as possible. Because they're very, very angry. and the little girl like just yells at her dad, "I don't want your because he brings out the petrified orange is like, I, I, love don't what I want want found. your." Food. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, the idea that they are so angry and he's I think maybe he realizes that the the vibes are off. But Mm -hmm. he's trying to power through it, which I've been that person. I've been in that situation before when other people are trying to do it. It's just awkward. Um, And he's really trying to be like, yeah, I'm back. This is great. And they're like, no, it's not. Go.
0: I like to think that he thought he didn't used to fit into his old life Mm -hmm. because all he really wanted was to go and be a pirate and that didn't fit with the life that he had. But now he's given up being a pirate. So now that that part of him is gone, shouldn't he just be able to fit? right back in like he was supposed to be he he knows he wasn't an attentive husband or an attentive father but now he's back and he's going to do all of those things so shouldn't things go back to a better version of how they were and it's like no because steed the way that you've grown and changed while you were gone your family has as well Mm -hmm.
1: yeah that's always i mean we talked a little bit about this in the calico jack episode about people trying to fit in where they're trying to hold on to the past steed is calico jack in this episode as much as i hate to admit it steed is being calico jack where he is just like oh this is how it used to be let's just do it the way we used to do it when people have obviously grown up developed talents developed new interests and he has no interest in learning about what they do he just wants them to be who they were when he left even though his life was not, he was not happy in his old life. I don't know why he's expecting everyone to just fall back in line and start up being miserable again.
0: Maybe just because it's expected. I don't know. Well, during this conversation at breakfast, when, you know, he's he's offered his daughter the orange and she stomps away. His son says, who are you again? He's like, I'm your father. Is it? Doug, my father? (laughs) Louis. And
1: that's when he finds out, yeah, that Mary has an art instructor. And Steve doesn't know anything about Mary's art, only that she had painted that lighthouse. So I don't know if that was a Doug-inspired painting, if he had helped her paint that, or if once she found that she liked painting, she found Doug. It's not explained. It's not important. But I would just be interested to know.
0: I like to imagine because... The, the lighthouse painting came pretty soon before he left,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that she did it first on her own. Um, and then when he left, she's like, "Do you know what? I'm going to get so good at this. And then she meets Doug and he understands her idiosyncrasies and he finds them <laughs> charming, actually. And they introduce each other to new things and new ideas. And it's just easy. They pass the time together. <laughs> I love her speech to him at the, in the episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, we get our first
1: flashback to the ship and what's going on. And Izzy brings Meanwhile, out news. Back on the ranch. Back on the ranch. Izzy brings out the news that the captain is fine. He's under the weather, but he's fine. Don't ask questions. Go about with what you're doing. And, you can tell everyone's a little bored because he's like swab the deck or polish something. And they're like, we've done this twice. We've done this three times already. Like there is literally nothing to do. (laughs) I was so surprised at this, but Izzy takes a swig of his coffee and spews it all over the deck. And is like, now you can clean it up. I, that's, that's my favorite Izzy moment of the whole season. It's him being such a petty, petty man.
0: Izzy, the spewer. (laughs) He is struggling because he's first mate again, mm-hmm. but not to Blackbeard. Uh anyway, then he pulls Lucius aside and Emily had a moment admiring Lucius's incredible sideburns. Yeah,
1: I didn't realize they're about they're about an inch away from his mouth. They come out, they look like a hockey a hockey stick thingy. <laughs>
0: he looks like his own hair is kicking him in the
1: mouth. <laughs> <laughs> And again, I said this, love his bow tie. Love Lucius's bow tie. I just think that's great.
0: Well, admire it now. He's dead by the end of the episode. He's not. (laughs) See, see, okay. Uh, I know we'll talk about it more when we get to that scene, but isn't it interesting that even though it's such like a dark scene and it's like played so seriously, I don't feel for a moment that Lucius is gone forever. Like, I'm not worried because of the way the storytelling's been going so far in this show that... For me, it's not that kind of show, and he and Black Pete are gonna reunite. And it's not a barrier gaze at sea. It's <laughs> uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be fine yeah. if we get a season two. If we don't get a season two, then he really is dead.
1: <laughs> no, he's not because we can write our own fan fiction about the mermaids finding
0: him. <laughs> um, I shoot a fan film. I'll buy a tail. Perfect.
1: Um, this has nothing to do with the story or anything, but I wonder what kind of person Izzy would date or if he's literally married to his job.
0: Hi, you have unlocked some Izzy opinions. Okay. Uh, Izzy doesn't think that love is an option. Mm-hmm. He only knows love through violence, which is why he gets so weirdly emotionally moved when Blackbeard cuts off his toe. Oh, yeah. But I would like... Someone I I don't think it he could have a similar love story to Ed and Steed with someone his complete opposite, yeah, you know, shaving him down. So I'd love to see Izzy with someone just as world weary and worn down as he is, but someone who's patient oh. where Izzy is not. I was gonna say Spanish but, Jackie, but she is not <laughs> patient. I hope, She's only no, 25. I, <laughs> Technically, Emily, do you remember how old the real Israel Hands was in real life? I don't think you told me, or if you did, I don't remember. He's sixteen. Oh, <laughs> so uh, the thing that Spanish Jackie referenced, where she's only twenty-five and she says anger ages you, um, maybe Izzy actually is sixteen, <laughs> but he's just cool so much rage that he looks like Con O'Neill. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I. Want him to find a another pirate guy, and I want him to have a good love story.
1: I want him to discover him. I want to discover yeah. Izzy?
0: Who is he without? Who is he without Ed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, without Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want him to. Here's what I don't want: David Jenkins, who's definitely listening to this podcast. <laughs> I don't want Izzy to sacrifice his life to save Steed, and that makes up for everything he's done. Yeah,
1: don't do that.
0: Yeah. No, I want him to learn and grow. And, like, I want him to learn to open his heart and that there's more beyond piracy as a culture of abuse.
1: And he, okay. I want to know what love is. Yeah, I also feel like he is, okay, maybe not afraid of his emotions, but he does not see them as necessary or important that they get in the way. I would like to see him connect with his emotion.
0: I agree with you. I would also like to see that. Mm-hmm. And uh not only that, but that the whole listen, Izzy has a toxic masculinity thing going on, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. We all we all can see it. Izzy or not slick. And I I want him to know that there's more. And that he doesn't have to completely, you know, change himself the way he thinks that Blackbeard has. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe Nigel and Chauncey have a third brother, <laughs> a triplet. I would love it. They just run away from,
1: from home. Brothers brothers, or a cousin. Okay, listen. Or the a th- distant nephew. The third. <laughs>
0: The third badminton, the reason they refer to themselves as twins is because the third brother ran away from home and got disowned. They never talk about him. He's a pirate. Oh, yeah. And he is who falls in love with Izzy in season two. (laughs) David Jenkins, who's listening to our podcast, please hire me as a writer on season two. And I will cameo as a mermaid.
1: Instead of directing, you'll cameo.
0: (laughs) Well, I i would like to get some more listen i'm very confident my animation directorial skills i would like to get some other experience on a live action set before i demand to do a live action thing because (laughs) that's one of my pet peeves is live action directors thinking that they know everything about animation and i'm sure that resentment goes both ways i can't just stride on to the set of a very cool HBO Max live action show and say, give it to me. I want to do it. Because, you know, David Jenkins, wonderful creator and writer, he didn't direct any of these episodes. I do have some live action shows that I want to create and write on for sure. And maybe I would direct some in season two or three. Emily, this is a... a-
1: yes, I, I know. <laughs> uh, I was also yeah. going to say... I'm going to come and just be the obnoxious person that watches everybody shoot stuff all day, film stuff all day. Listen, I. You're love, acting in
0: it. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I. You're working. I'm going to put you to work on set. You're not just going to sit there and be like, <laughs> eat everybody's oh, food. You guys are all doing such a great job. <laughs> it's like, no, this is your job too. Get over here.
1: I had a, a friend whose dad worked on the TV show Touched by an Angel which was filmed primarily in Utah. And I got to go on set a couple of times. And she'd done this. She was old hat. She'd been an extra in a couple episodes. Like she got to meet Tara Lipinski, who was on an episode. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And so her dad was so patient because like I would come on set and ask so many questions while they were like setting up and reshooting and everything. Oh, one day I was on set when Kim Rhodes was there. And uh, I didn't get to meet her, but I remember her. And years later, I'm like, when I saw her on Supernatural, I'm like, that's the lady from Judge by an Angel. Um, sorry, I got really <laughs> excited. But um, I would ask questions about like, well, why are you using this thing? Because he was like the lead lighting director person. Um, and I remember him taking the time while they were resetting stuff up to like show me what it looked like with and without stuff and was like so patient with me. And I just loved being on set. And seeing all that cool, cool stuff. So I find it really, really fascinating to see people in their element do cool technical stuff that I'm just like, I have no idea how any of this works, but I would love to learn. Um,
0: Yeah. There are so many different jobs on a film set. Mm -hmm. Like, watch the credits more, everyone. (laughs) And like, pay attention to what the names of the jobs are. Like,
1: listen, all of you guys who have sat through a Marvel movie... Knows how long the credits are. <laughs> like, that's how many people work on a movie. So, if I could work on a television set, I would be so happy. Even if I had to be there at three in the frickin' morning, I just think that would be so fun. As long as you got along with your coworkers, like, I think a lot of it is the people you work with too.
0: So, if you want a really good look into what work is like on a live action set, There is an older Tumblr blog called goingforpicture.tumblr.com, and it's about a woman, Michelle, who is a first assistant director that works in Texas, I think, and uh, they – she shares a lot of live action stuff and, like, talks about her job and, like, some of the other roles on set and – uh, I learned a lot about live action sets from uh reading her stuff. Also I learned about a, a lot about live action sets from watching. Emily, can you guess? The Lord of the Rings appendices.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite movie yes. in the whole
0: world. My favorite movie, the behind the scenes documentaries on the extended edition Lord of the Rings DVDs. That's Here so we go. Fun. that's so fun. Hey, uh, listeners, I'm going to take a moment and thank you for coming with us on this extra long ride on the finale episode. But we, we are, are five, five minutes, minutes into the episode <laughs> and one hour into our <laughs> podcast. And it's because, you know what? We don't want to let it go. No. This is it. This is the last episode. So I hope you enjoy the many tangential trails we track down mm-hmm. uh, and that you'll come with us on this adventure. We're so happy you're here. What do you think about marriage? Do you even want one? <laughs> Tell us about your dream living situation. Is G- it just you, your son, Ned, a giant cat, and as many shady corpses as you can write off as natural causes? Tweet us <laughs> at SisMadeMeViewIt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, this. So, okay, I'm going to say everyone in this episode is a wonderful, but Taika gets MVP for best acting in this
0: episode. Eh. what we're not there yet oh okay sorry uh because it's jim and olu next oh that's right oh this
1: scene i i got so surprised i was so surprised so pleasantly mm-hmm. surprised this is the culminating kiss that i was expecting um i yeah i was just like we're not gonna get any kissing in the final episode we get jim and olu kissing um mm-hmm. jim is back uh and they're admiring the room, and it turns out that Frenchie and Wee John have given the room up because they feel that there was a lot of bad juju from the earlier raid. And so Olu and Jim get the room back, and he says, and I miss you. It. And Jim <laughs> jumps on Olu and just starts making out. And I was, I think I screamed. Um, I was just so you excited.
0: <laughs> you yelled. And it's so great because Jim, listened to Jackie, they gave up the revenge to come back to the revenge. But, you know, they gave up the tracking these people down. And Emily, what? Emily, Emily, yeah. now that you've seen the whole season, yes. I can say that you and I have 100% the same theory about Jim's brother. When you mentioned it in the episode that we never saw the body of the brother, I I am sure that the Siete Gallos recruited Jim's brother and when we run, when we cross paths with them in season two, hashtag renew our flag means death, that this brother is absolutely going to be one of the Siete Gallos now. Mm-hmm. And Jim is going to have to fight their own brother. Yeah. Without knowing it. Yeah. And they both got raised as killers but on opposite sides. <laughs> See, that's the sort of betrayal i'm talking
1: about not steed's betrayal boo <laughs> oh
0: listen so, oh go ahead oh i was just gonna yell more about how like steed is just learning
1: okay that is fair that's fair the next scene oh did you want to say something else
0: no i was just breathing all right.
1: the next scene is mary showing steed all these paintings And it's very reminiscent of the first time she shows him her lighthouse painting because he said, oh, did one of the kids draw this? And, you know, we have that awkward conversation. In this one, he goes, oh, how many people come here to paint? And she's like, these are all mine. And he's amazed because – and I love that they are all different styles. I love to see her experimenting because, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you get stuff like Thomas Kincaid and you get stuff like – trying to think of another uh georgia
0: the- O'Keeffe. she has O'Keefe. some very georgia
1: O'Keeffe looking stuff especially that iris-like painting mm-hmm. um but who's who's the who's the who's the famous lds artist who draws
0: like the kooky people oh yeah christensen yes what's tom his? Christ, jim christensen? James, christensen james christensen james christensen where they have
1: a very distinct style but they're also able to do other things but i love seeing her because she does have some very abstract stuff, and then she has some very, like, uh, romantic, you know, style, impressionistic style. And I just, I love the visuals of Mary finding herself here. Yeah. Like, there's one, the painting that we're looking at, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into it. It's center in the screen, and it's a woman uh, with her back to us looking out into a dark field with a lantern. And I feel like that's very symbolic of Mary's journey of looking out into the future, the unknown, but she has her lantern and she's going to go find her path herself.
0: I love that. I I saw it as a couple Pokemon evolutions up from her first lighthouse. (laughs)
1: Oh, be your own lighthouse. Oh, Megan, that's so good. Megan, that's so good.
0: You know, I'm something of an artist myself.
1: <laughs> I'd be interested to know who the artist is that they got to do that painting. I would buy that yeah. painting.
0: Have to cover it up like with said, a sticky
1: they... note when the nibblings come over. <laughs> but...
0: <laughs> Y'all, I have exactly one nude figure painting that I did for a class. It's and beautiful. I do hide it when my family comes over. But And I can't post it online because it is let's say the seashell area (laughs) (laughs) not safe for work (laughs) but it's really beautiful and i was so proud of it because it was like my first uh like real painting study from life and i was just i feel really happy about it i think it's gorgeous and the teacher liked it too the teacher liked it too (laughs) they thought i had uh i was really creative in my color blocking anyway, the the slightly nice mood is ruined by Steve meeting Doug for the first time, and uh Emily
1: being passive aggressive. Do you know about where
0: <laughs> Do you know where you've seen Doug before?
1: I don't. I can't tell if that's a wig he has on or if that's his real hair, and I cannot picture him in anything. What have I seen him in? You
0: uh, I don't think you've seen him in a show or movie, but you know him from a meme? I know him from a meme, okay? You know him from a meme. Ready? It's free real estate. <gasps> no! That is, he's even
1: got the right angle that I have for all the time.
0: <laughs> So, when a dude in your hometown runs away to become a pirate and leaves his wife behind, it's, it's free, free real, real estate.
1: estate. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh,
0: Good but for he him. Is, Good for him. He has brought over Mary's flyers for her art show this weekend. And uh, what name is Mary credited under? The Widow Bonnet. And that bugs Steed
1: so hard. He's just like, oh, well, you can change it now because you're not a widow. And they are doing the polite society dance at this point. They are. But you can tell Mary is... I say not doing a good job. She is not hiding her feelings as much as she has in the past. You can tell she's very annoyed. She's like, or I could leave it because it gives me an air of, you know, like a mysterious air. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're having a very polite disagreement, Steed and Mary. And this is when I was like, Steed's Galico Jack! Because he's coming in and wanting everyone to change back to how he wants it and that's so selfish it's so selfish good writing good
0: character such a good insight emily thank you thank you you're something of an artist yourself i went to english school (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe you focused on your english degree instead of getting married (laughs) i am so happy to do this podcast with you this This is is a lot of fun
1: fun and I learned a lot of I'm... things
0: about you that I didn't know and you're my sister. Anyway, Lucius. It's time for Lucius to shine. Oh it's, Lucius. It's boy. like it's like that one it's the emotional equivalent of the crew gets one happy, incredible moment before it all goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And I should have been suspicious when Lucius was being so amazing in this episode that something bad was on the horizon. But (laughs) it wasn't that kind of show. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't suspecting it. But oh my land. Emily, is Lucius good at breakups or what? So good.
1: I love his – okay, we don't have time to go into everyone's character arcs, okay? Yes, we do. It's our (laughs) podcast. We can do whatever we want. It's our final episode. (laughs) Um. I love also Lucius's storyline. He goes from very stereotypical, mean, mean girl, quote unquote, like the, you know, Regina mm-hmm. George sort of a thing, to having a background and to having a beating heart. <laughs> <and feelings. laughs> it's not all goof, goof journal and what have you. <laughs> Uh, yeah he does amazing he's been he's basically been summoned to the to the captain's quarters and he walks in and he's so scared and it's a mess in here i mean there's clothes everywhere stuff's just lying around and he's just like walking in and you could great acting amazing acting he's so scared and finally, he hears a very soft voice like, I'm over here. But he reacts like, ugh! Like, he's so scared and doesn't know what to expect. Because everyone by this point knows Steed is gone. And no one knows how Blackbeard is going to react. And he has every reason to be nervous.
0: And Blackbeard is camping out in a <laughs> little pillow fort he built himself. <laughs>
1: And he's wearing Steed's flower robe. And Meg, you thought he was eating...
0: I think he's eating the marmalade. Mm-hmm. The comfort food. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. But he's like all laying there and there's a candle. And Lucius goes, is it safe to have a candle in here, do you think? And and Blackbird just shrugs his shoulders like, I don't care.
0: <laughs> uh, so, there is a piece of classical art um by an artist named Gickley, and it's called girl in a red kimono mm-hmm. and uh, my friend patty did some paintovers uh putting blackbeard in in these paintings instead but i have got to Oop. just a sec i'm going to send you uh, an image of it perfect so you can see it okay here it comes Anyway, I... uh, Oh, I love that. Yeah, I feel it's no coincidence that the angles and the posing for this scene is so reminiscent of uh, this series of paintings.
1: And the colors, especially. Like, he's laying on, like, a golden pillow and everything, so...
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's deliberate.
1: That was deliberate. deliberate. (laughs) So anyway,
0: (laughs) he's uh, brought Lucius in to write some down some lyrics that he's been pondering Mm -hmm. and they're very very sad lyrics about like hanging on by a thread hold on hold on fingers bleeding down to the bone now hold on (laughs) (laughs) and i love
1: this i think what you said about lucius i can't remember if it was earlier in this episode or the episode before this but how Mm -hmm. lucius is his jimmy is blackbeard's jimmy cricket his emotional (laughs) like helps him get in touch with his emotions because it was this
0: episode i know we've been recording for 10 hours
1: but (laughs) yeah it was this recording but i love that let me let me get let me get the right the right um
0: part Oh, because You hate it, don't you? He's like, oh. hate is such a strong and wrong word.
1: And so he starts, he realizes he cannot ask, well, he realizes if he asks Blackbeard straight up, what is going on? What are you feeling? Uh, Blackbeard is not going to engage him at all. Ed, whatever. Whoever he is at this moment. I think he's Ed in this part. Um, he is.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
1: And so Lucius starts talking around it by saying, like what's happening in this song, you know? Like what? And he, because he does, he's like, "Why are you hanging on?" And and Ed is like, "Oh, it's not about me." Like he's very quick. He's like, "It's some. It's about somebody else, somebody else fictional." And so Lucius is like, so insightful because he says, "Oh, so the fictional character, he's having a hard time," and Taika tears up beautifully i loved this scene because we've all been there you know someone just says something Mm -hmm. that just hits and all of a sudden you're just like yes the fictional character not me is having a really hard time
0: i mean i'm not izzy i'm a farmer (laughs) Sorry, that was a Grey's Anatomy reference. Different Izzy. Different Izzy. I was like, I missed that part. So, um... And so Lucius does... Oh, Meg, you just have to say,
1: like, the way he does this scene, right? You agree with me? Like... Yes. He's He's helping uh, him let go because he's like, what if it's not over? What if this person isn't dying? What if it just... He begins again and goes on. And that's kind of like the first ray of hope that... I think Ed has is that this doesn't mean the end of everything. This means life will go on, Mm -hmm. but it will suck. But like (laughs) life, life, things will keep going. This moment will not last forever. That is one thing. That's one thing we think we were. It's one thing my therapist and I talk about all the time is like feeling your feelings. If you're sad, angry, whatever, that's not going to last forever. You just have to feel them, get mm-hmm. over it, get through the the beginning, the middle, and the end, and then you can
0: just keep going. I have some emotional advice, mm-hmm. and this is one of the ways that I personally prepare for pitch meetings and presentations, mm-hmm. is I give myself time ahead of the pitch to feel my nerves. I don't try to tamp it down. Um So usually I'll turn on like some songs and I'll, and listen, this will not work for everyone. I'm not suggesting that you put yourself into a panic attack on purpose. (laughs) Um, But for me, I'll take time. And this used to be like before pandemic when I would have to actually travel to studios and do presentations. Oh, the good old days. oh, the good old days. I'd either sit in my car or I'd take a moment in the in the bathroom with my earbuds in and I'd put on a song, usually Plagues from the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> I don't know why that song just gets my my blood pumping. But I would be like, what could possibly go wrong? How could I embarrass myself? What if I forget the words? What if I forget my cards? What if I mess up? What if I insult someone? And I let myself basically feel all of the fear already until I kind of burn up my nerves and then I'm able to, you know, talk myself through all of these hypothetical situations before I go in and do my presentation because it is not bad to feel feelings. That's that's why you have them. That's why they're there. And it's only when you're trying to tamp them down and avoid them that they will break out in times that you don't want them to. Uh, And this is also why it's good to talk things through with people because if you just hold in everything you're feeling all the time, then when they do something very slight that annoys you, you will unload everything that you've been holding back even if you don't want to. And listen, it feels great to argue with someone when you're pretending in the shower and you're having one of those fake arguments, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It's not as great in real life because guess what? Now there's two people and now they can yell back at you. That's that's a little bit off track. But basically, hey, if you're hurt, if someone hurts you, go ahead and feel hurt. Like cry about it. Give yourself a day off and go somewhere and like give yourself a treat about it and allow you to like – Like you said, Emily, you start at the beginning and you feel it through the middle and you go to the end. And – You know, no feeling lasts forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of them are quite a bit bigger than others, but it's... Lucius does such a good job through here. And I really love it because he's like, maybe you should let go. And is like, Timmy, just curl up to a ball and die. (laughs) And then this great quote, this needs to be on as many gift sets as... Uh, what Vision was talking about grief in WandaVision. <laughs> what if it's not a death? What if life just begins again? Listen, we need more stories, Emily. We need more stories about people who've made it past grief. Mm-hmm. All right, that have like lived their lives beyond that, and we need more stories of people, like, moving through grief, not just, oh, this character dies at the end of movie one or the end of book one, and then we time jump to book two, and everyone's already over it because we skip all that part. Um, So I guess, everyone, this serves as a warning if you're going to watch anything I write. (laughs) (laughs) Listen,
1: as her sister that has grown up hearing all these stories, yes, beware.
0: Guard your heart. I... (laughs) I like sad stories that end happily. Do but... they? Yes. That's the okay. I'm going to die on. <laughs> short stories, no. I like to do very tragic, shocking short stories. Okay. okay. But if I'm going to put the time and effort into a three or five season television series, I'm not going to go for a downer ending. What's the point of investing In a television show, if you're just going to say, oh, it ends badly because that's realistic and real life ends badly if you own a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) We're
1: not better about that. It's fine.
0: We didn't even watch that show.
1: It was like secondhand fury. I watched the very last episode live with my friend because she was such a huge fan and I'd been following on Twitter the dumpster mm-hmm. fire of a season it had been and it was so listen I felt I felt so bad sorry Jess I enjoyed it so much watching her get so upset about it I was sad she was upset but it was so funny it was so funny to see her be so bad I'm sorry
0: yeah listen there's a difference between enjoying watching someone suffer through the red wedding mm-hmm. and watching someone suffer through the finale. Because with the Red Wedding, it's like, oh my gosh, how are they going to get past this? How are they going to get over this? But the finale, it's like, that's it? That's all there is? That's how it ends? Mm-hmm.
1: That's all there is.
0: And I'm a I'm a heavy outliner, so I don't have patience for people who are like, I don't know, just end it however. Uh, I like to know exactly where all of my stories go before I start yeah. actually writing or producing them. Um, oh. we are now 10 minutes into the episode
1: <laughs> we're gonna get it together so the next scene is I find it very interesting because we've talked about it's the same color scheme as the sunset it's all the golds and like uh, Steed is in a, a, a brocaded greenish teal vest um, mm-hmm. but the emotion is not there and I'm wondering if he if this is if he's coloring the scene himself by saying, it's supposed to be this way, so I'm going to make it feel this way, because he is standing mm-hmm. in front of the portrait that his whole family stood in, you know, stood and posed for. They have painted him out of it. He is no longer a part of their family.
0: Do you think that's why Mary wanted to up her painting skills? I bet. I mean, yeah. Or is that how she met Doug? Is she hired him to do it? Oh, maybe that's it. But. I actually have a theory about the setup of this scene. Okay. So, Blackbeard in the pillow fort has the one single candle. And he's thinking of Steed while he's looking into the candle. Mm-hmm. Now, Steed in this scene is carrying a candle that he doesn't need. There are like 50 cajillion candles in this shot. Mm-hmm. The house is full of light and warmth already and doesn't need his candle added to the pile oh
1: megan you're so smart you're so insightful
0: i love this i got a five on the ap US letter. <laughs> no on the ap lit test and the ap us test. and the ap us test. listen i love doing symbolic nonsense like this that just means stuff to me in my boards oh my favorite one i did in camp cretaceous uh is in season i think it's season yeah it's season three where uh we find kenji's penthouse Mm -hmm. And normally you don't really want to put a lot of time into shading and coloring and doing the lighting on your boards because color keys and lighting are someone else's job and you don't need to do someone else's job for them. Um, But if it's story-specific lighting that's very important, you do it. So when we came aboard the penthouse, even though technically the sun, like, wouldn't have been behind it for the time of day they found it, I made sure that the shadow of the penthouse stretched across the plains where the kids were when they approached it. Because Kenji still feels overshadowed by the legacy of his father. That's not important to the season. I mean, it's kind of important to the episode, but that was just something just for me. So, hey, if you're a Camp Cretaceous fan listening to this, that's a little Easter egg that I consider I consider non-canon, mm-hmm. right? Because it's the, it's the showrunners and the EPs who, like, make final canon decisions. But, you know, I can put a little Megan Spice in my assignments. Yeah, I love that. So there you go. It's Megan canon. It's Manon. Nope. Take that back. I don't want it to be called that. <laughs> McGannon? It's McGannon. <laughs> it's McGannon. <laughs> Edward finishes
1: the scene out realizing that he's been removed from his family, sitting alone at the dinner table, pretending to have a conversation with Edward. Because that's where yeah. he feels He'd... he should be. You mean Steed? Thank you.
0: I said, Yeah, thank you. Steed. Yeah. yeah. Um this is just the that dinner scene. Mm-hmm. That this orange, this petrified orange, he talks to it like it's Edward. Mm -hmm. Because remember when Lucius says, remember the real treasure were the friends we made along the way? Yeah. And he says, Lucius, we spend every day together. Treasure is the real treasure. (laughs) But now this this, uh, dried up petrified orange uh, represents the treasure that he left behind. And it's further... (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's further. Oh no! It's further proven. Yes, Megan, go ahead.
0: Wait, can I finish oh, my finish thought? finish your thought.
1: It's yeah, further proven because he has still a candle and he's out walking and he follows the sound of giggling and laughing and realizes he really has been cut out of his life because, as he suspected, Mary and Doug are an item
0: and smooshing booties, the, the... bumping uglies.
1: <laughs> Look. It's the it's the shadows in this scene where where he holds up the candle. Steed looks like Uncle the actor that plays Uncle Vernon because like the the shadows like make his
0: mouth go down really far and he just looks. Give him the mustache. Yeah. So it's the next morning at breakfast, and Emily, I think you really enjoyed this. Scene. I
1: loved this scene because all I wanted was Mary to throw down the paper and give Steed what for, and I didn't get the throwing of the paper, but I got the giving Steed what for
0: because we once again have this camera setup where camera's dead center in the middle of the table and our leads are centered and they're looking straight at camera like they're looking straight at each other for this this conversation and she is being so restrained because listen steed you left and now
1: uh listen i'm not gonna beat the dead horse anymore but
0: he's sorry you said that wrong um you need to say i'm not going to beat the dead lucius oh
1: no i'm not saying that no no absolutely not i will not i will not um steed is still trying to do the like well i think passive aggressive polite of like oh you came in rather late last night didn't you and Mary is just fed up already. Like I, I'm assuming these are the first words they've spoken because this is breakfast or whatever, and she's like, "Uh, yeah." Like she clearly doesn't want to talk about it. She clearly doesn't doesn't want to even address this with him, and he sort of gets right to the point. He's like, "Well, don't you want to tell me anything about maybe Doug?" And she just kind of gets the, you know, like, oh, "Okay, here we go," um, and she. She gives him this wonderful, wonderful speech. This great speech about, uh, yeah, okay, you're home. Fine. We're married. Fine. But guess what? While you were gone. And then she clearly lays out how Mm -hmm. much better her life has been since he chose to leave. And she is not going to
0: apologize for the happiness she has found. I have managed to create a life that I quite like. And I won't destroy that life just because you've decided to unabandon your family on a whim. And I don't think anyone's
1: really yelled at Steed like this before. Not any of his pirates. Not Ed. Not the British soldiers. I
0: love it. And I would say it's because no one's been on an even footing with steed before yeah you know he was captain before and you know well when he and blackbeard were co-captains of course Mm -hmm. uh he always recognizes blackbeard as a pirating authority Mm -hmm. you know he he held him in high regard he had him up on that pedestal and it's one of the reasons why in episode nine when blackbeard's like oh do you know what pedestal's not for me i kind of like life off the pedestal it's why steed panicked and ran because he wasn't ready to have a peer-to-peer conversation yet Mm -hmm. but i and i know you're so mad at steed but i i love how this episode where he really learns yeah and he's not he's not a fairy tale character at the end of this Mm -hmm. he's a much more fleshed out he becomes a real boy Mm -hmm. in this episode and how in the pilot we learn about how he just ran away and left his family instantly this time He makes plans. He like approaches it more carefully. And then we'll talk a lot about some symbol stuff when we get to the, when we get to the end of the episode, it's, it's painful, but he's, you know, stupid puppet pulled it off. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I love the next
1: scene because remember in the first, I can't remember if it's episode two or three, but Lucius is the one that finds out that Jim, who Jim is. Yeah, in disguise. In disguise, he, Lucius is the first one to find out that Jim and Olu are a thing. Quite by accident, he barges in and they're in bed together. And Olu, like, covers up and is like, and he's so I just love this. And he's like, there's a sock on the door. What was that? I don't know what that means. Uh,
0: Here's a fun trivia fact for the scene. Vico, the actor who plays Jim, um, they're the one who actually pitched the idea that Olu plays the little spoon in this. Um, I'm not a spoon, I'm and a that, knife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a knife! Uh, and I just think the staging of it is so funny because, you know, like you said, having Olu cover up is just, it's comedy and it's hilarious and everything's going Great. Jim and Ola are together, and we're having a thing on deck for Captain with cake, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what are we doing on deck with Captain?
1: He is performing his song, and Frenchie is playing the, it's not a lute, is it? It's like a guitar, a special
0: guitar. And I, I think it's his large lute. And
1: Taika has right. quite a nice voice like he really does but like you can tell frenchie is like listen i am just here playing because i have been asked to do this i don't really want to be doing this but i am here and so (laughs) so the the captain's kind of i say the captain ed is kind of embracing the sad poetry muse person and everyone's very Mm -hmm. like going through something and i think it speaks to them that they're like like they clap and they're like okay we're supporting you because he's clearly going through something and like we john is like that's really good stuff like everyone is there to support this person going through a hard time because they're a crew and they do that because they support each other and then blackbeard betrays them all not yet not yet but you just sorry i'm i sorry I'm 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 it's all right. just no made, I get it. I just made the connection of they're there for him and he's not there for them at the end and I just,
0: so um so the uh the scene they're all very embarrassed by this, mm-hmm. but like you said, they stick by him and uh they they're doing what they learned from Steed. And Ed's trying to do what he learned from Steed. He's trying to be a pirate captain with feelings. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm going to ask you what do you think ed thinks happened to steed that night okay i think
1: okay not that i want to say on the one hand and on the other hand on the one hand i almost wonder if he hopes he's dead because that means he didn't abandon him but on the other hand the way that things go afterwards I think he might have thought that Steed left him on purpose.
0: Yeah, that he just didn't show up. So I feel he thinks Steed is still back at the correctional school for wayward seamen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'd be I'd be interested. There's a there's a historical thing that Blackbeard's very known for. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to talk about it at the end of this episode. Okay. And two I want, hours I from feel, now. <laughs> yeah, I feel that this historic event may be an important plot point in season two. Okay. Just, I feel it in my water. Okay. Which you have quite a lot of. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Listeners, you haven't heard, but I've had to leave to use the restroom three times because my voice is just dying from, you know, the aforementioned Ren Fair screaming and dust and hazaing and uh I'm trying to drink a bunch of water to rehydrate my voice <laughs> and it just goes right through me. But anyway, uh the ship's going to have a talent show, Emily? Yeah. And everyone's very excited
1: and Izzy is just like, "Why?" Yeah. He's really upset because things are not going the way that he thought they would now that now that Blackbeard quote-unquote blackbeard is back even though blackbeard is back he's not back and izzy is at a loss to as to what to do next um mm-hmm. but here in the next episode next sorry here in the next scene we meet evelyn fabulous yeah we do pirate patch evelyn um listen if she ended up going off to be a pirate i would be thrilled i would be super thrilled
0: so david jenkins actually tweeted that um, some of the the unwritten rules of the show were no peg legs, no eye patches, no R. Um, but they made one eye patch exception for Evelyn's character. It's a fancy uh, eye patch. It has like
1: lace on it.
0: Yeah. Played to perfection by Kristen Johnston. So wonderful. Wonderful.
1: She is wonderful. And, oh, go ahead no you go she's one of the widows from uh mary's support group and she has i believe this is her i believe this is her like shop that she's letting mary use to set up to show off her artwork that night as like an art show
0: and mary's just Uh, like no the the dress shop isn't hers because remember she runs the mortuary oh she runs the
1: mortuary duh um but she's there helping evelyn sorry Evelyn is there helping Mary set up, man, I'm like you with Roswell names. (laughs) I can't keep them straight. Um, And Mary's just like, listen, I know this is terrible, but it would have been so much better if he had died. Like it's worse that he is alive and back here rather than dead and gone forever. And um, Evelyn reveals that she's like, do you want that to happen? I can make it happen. And she reveals that her husband was so terrible at his job that he would just mark everything um, natural causes and no one will investigate a death. Like, no one is going to investigate Steed's death. And Mary's like,
0: I don't think we're there
1: yet. And I was like, "Yet," she said yet. There's going to be an attempted murder.
0: In the next scene, Steed gets everything he's ever wanted. Yeah,
1: I thought this was... Not weird, but I was surprised he got this.
0: It's, uh, I think it's, one, we needed a scene where he got drunk. Um, and two, I think it's interesting to show that he could have a place here. He could have had a place here. He's like, I'm an outsider. Nobody likes me, blah, blah, blah. Like we've met the people he knew in grade school and some of them were really mean But he's now meeting another guy his same age who's a huge friend of his, a huge fan of his. And I think this scene is supposed to show that, no, he could have had a group of friends here. And not only that, now he has a captive audience of his own peers that want to hear his stories and want to hear him talk. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like pulling teeth, all that sort of stuff. And I also think that – this group of men listening to his stories, you know, kind of riling him up and everything, that's what gives him the confidence to go confront Mary and ruin her art show. Mm-hmm.
1: I also think this is a, a a foil to the scene where Blackbeard goes to the fancy dinner party and he thinks everyone is oh, laughing yeah. with him, but they're laughing at him. But in this case, I love that. Steed is getting people to laugh with him. Like, he's, he's not the he's not the butt of a joke or anything like that he is the center of attention and like you said yeah he does get that courage to go and ruin mary's art show by saying she's not a widow. like he goes in and he's very drunk and he makes a scene and says like she's not a widow i'm back i'm so great and he also go ahead yes i forgot That he
0: flashes back to
1: the twins dying. Again with the gun and the not warning of
0: older siblings, Megan. Again. Twitter. Be on my side here. (laughs) I don't think that gunshot death is that bad because we just see the flash of the powder and smoke. Mm -hmm. Plus, it's so ridiculous to consider you can trip over a gun and shoot yourself in the eye. Please, Twitter, back me up. <laughs> Tweet at Vice. made me view it. So yeah.
1: Um. So yeah. He ruins Mary's art show. Um. We also get Steed is fed up, but we also get a scene where Izzy is fed up, and let's Ed have it. <laughs> what?
0: No. The scene where Izzy gets fed is much later in the <laughs> episode. <laughs>
1: But basically, he he tells, like, Ed, he's just like, Ed had better watch his back because Ed is stupid and everything. And and he's, like, wears Blackbeard. And he, he gets him so, he gets Ed so angry that Ed, like, slams him up against the wall and chokes him. And instead of being afraid, Izzy is elated. He's like, there he is. There's Blackbeard.
0: Important, important, important. Emily, yes. what is behind Izzy in that scene? Uh. The lighthouse painting.
1: <laughs>
0: yep. You know, technically, you're supposed to avoid lighthouses. Uh, Izzy has the book version of Blackbeard, the version that Steed worshipped. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so sad because, listen, I've had the depression funk. And then you come out of it, and you're cleaning your apartment, and you're like, it feels so nice to clean my apartment, and Izzy is ruining this. (laughs) Ugh, not some namby-pamby in a silk gown pining for his boyfriend. And then, listen, violence is the only language Izzy understands or respects. Mm -hmm. But the lighthouse painting is there because Emily Steed is the lighthouse, and Izzy is the other life. Yeah. And Ed is going to have to make a choice between the lighthouse life or a pirate's life. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the lighting in this scene on Tyka's face, so beautiful. Like, the way it catches his stubble, the way it shows just, like, the cut of his jaw and his cheekbones and his hair. Great. Lighting, great. Yep. Izzy bad.
1: <laughs> so, okay, interesting. Okay, I'm not making this connection. I'm really not making this connection. Okay, I'm not, but I am. Violence is the only language Izzy understands. Mary apparently has no qualms with violence because she is set to kill Steed dead in their bed. Like, she is going to do it. The only reason she doesn't go through with it is he wakes up and catches her.
0: What is the murder weapon?
1: It's a skewer, a veggie skewer from the party, from the art show.
0: What was the sound effect when she was looking at the skewer? (laughs) It was metal on metal. (laughs) Yeah, it was the, the sheathing sound, which we talked about in our earlier Human Flesh Soft Stab Noise episode, uh... This is the stabbing sound that we've heard throughout the season. And I love that because the veggies slide onto the skewer quietly at first, but that noise gets louder and louder the more she watches. And it's like we can see her putting it together. Uh, Something we kind of skipped over at the Steed interrupting the gallery Mm -hmm. show is that Doug tries to pull him off. And Steed grabs a knife and slams him down on the table.
1: I thought he and Emily—you freaked him. out for
0: a second. I did. Yeah, I was like, <gasps> I was so shocked because the way that it shot is—he
1: looks like Steed shoves him down and then his arm comes up and down, but he puts it up against his his neck. He doesn't. I thought he'd like stabbed him through the shoulder or something, but
0: mm-hmm. he
1: stopped before he went too far.
0: So Mary's got the skewer to Steed's ear. She's gonna do it, mm-hmm. but then. He wakes up, they scream, and here comes, finally, the passive aggressiveness is gone, the dancing around it is gone, and even, now they're on even footing with a huge betrayal on either side, (laughs) because he ran away to be a pirate and she tried to kill him. Mm -hmm. Just like on the scene in the beach, both dressed in white, sitting on the same level next to each other, they're able to talk through their feelings as Equal. And it's uh,
1: not the important it's not the exact same coloring, but it's very close.
0: Right. Yeah. Sorry, I'm stuck on and that sunset scene. <laughs> it's me too forever. I'm sad. And yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. it, it was so the scene starts out very funny <laughs> as they're like yelling and arguing and then <sighs> Steve says that he doesn't fit here anymore. Yeah. He realizes it now. He like puts it together and then they start to talk about, she starts talking about how she feels about Doug. He asks her, uh, how does it feel to be in love? And as she gives this beautiful speech, we cut back across the season to the two of them together Mm -hmm. and between uh, Ed and Steed. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yes. we cut back across the season to moments with Ed and Steed. So it feels easy. It's just like breathing. He understands my idiosyncrasies. And we, you know, see them in the closet. Uh, Finds them charming, even. (sighs) We expose each other to new things. New ideas. And we laugh a lot. We just... Pass the time together so well. Uh, (laughs) I call those things love. I hope you find that someday. Uh, And then Emily, what does he say? He says, I
1: think I have. Like, I think. What's her name? Ed. And she just hugs him. him. (laughs) Like, they. She just hugs. Like they were thrown together by chance. They have every right to be angry and bitter at each other. And instead, I think they are both so happy that they have found someone. Each each of them has found someone that makes them happy that Mary is happy for Steed and Steed being happy for Mary is a great ending to their marriage relationship like they get to part on very good terms rather than how can i hurt you so you hurt like i hurt instead it's how can i make you be happy like i'm happy how can i help your life be better how can i support you with your person that you have found
0: uh and then uh and and a piano song starts playing and i was like (laughs) it's it's the piano and Meg's like, it's the And I was that. like, it's not the song. Because uh, the, the last time that song plays is during the kiss scene on the beach. Mm-hmm. Reverie by Debussy. Uh, and it's, it's playing in the what does it feel like to be in love? And then it's playing over Blackbeard scene as he is holding something. Emily, what is it? What's back? It
1: was his red silk square that he had, uh, that Steed had tucked into his pocket and made into a pocket square. And Meg, I because I remember disagreeing with you that the moment that Steed tucked the the silk thing into into Ed's shirt is the moment that Ed fell in love with him. But now I'm starting to agree with you because it's a very symbolic moment where this is like the, the, you know, we know from Blackbeard's background that he came from a very, very poor family. And this piece of silk is like the nicest thing he's ever owned. Um, And he lets it go and it blows across, you know, the bow of the ship and into the water. I'm sure it's going to come back in season two. Steed's going to have found it and like bring it back and as an offering or something. But he lets it go because he has made the decision to embrace blackbeard and to get rid of everything and listen i understand to be an actor you need to be able to have a range you need to be able to be sad to be happy to be scared to be excited to be Mm -hmm. all these things taika's acting in this scene where he like flips a switch and goes from ed to psychotic levels of blackbeard like he is blackbeard dialed up to 37 at this point
0: uh, the fandom refers to this version of Ed as the Kraken.
1: Oh, that makes total sense. Because he does say later, yeah. I am the Kraken. And Lucius comes out to be like, hey, we have a talent show. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I
0: want to talk a little bit about the red silk okay, before we kill Lucius. Uh, and I want to jump back to that scene in episode five with the red silk in the in the heart pocket. Uh, and the reason why I say... This is why this is why Ed falls in love there. One, we have the actual visual of Steed literally putting a heart on Blackbeard's chest and Ed, you know, look the way Ed like looks up at him. And the moment Ed looks up, that's when that piano piece starts, the Nassian Number 5. Um... (laughs) A little bit of bonnet in my life. A couple weird pirates by my side. A ship on the sea is all I need. All we have to do is throw off Izzy. No, anyway. Um, and the that piece plays throughout the season. And it marks important moments in their love story. And so, I mean, come on. The moonlight, all of that, everything. And so Ed's just looking up at him with those you know, big, beautiful eyes that are shining in the moonlight. And that's when Steed says, you wear fine things well. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the moment because, you know, Ed's feeling very raw and rejected by like all the fancy people throughout that episode, both like the people that they capture in the place where they go to the party and the way Steed just accepts him and not only accepts him, but compliments him, like raises him to be like, Oh, not only do you, you know, do it, but you do it well. That's when I think that's that's what, that's what when Ed falls in love. And so that's why this piece of red silk, which symbolizes all the things that his mother told him he could never have, mm-hmm. uh, that now includes the love of Steed. And so he's going to let it go because he can never have it. Now, anyway, let's talk about the uh, boy murder.
1: I don't want to. <laughs> but I will say, um, I was saying... Uh, Taika's acting in this and you can cut out my earlier stuff and and I'll put it in here Um, I understand that actors need to have a range like that's kind of the basic requirements for being an actor is you need to be able to show happiness, joy sadness, anger, fear like you need to be able to do all these things I literally felt fear looking at Taika in this scene because he just flips a switch and goes from Ed, like Maggie said, he's now the Kraken. He's not Blackbeard. I think I think Kraken is a step or eight above Blackbeard in terms of like Dangerous. awfulness and terrible. Yeah. Because the way he looks at Lucius, I just went, oh no. Like I had a cold wash of fear over me. Because yes. his his head is down, his eyebrows are lowered, and he's looking up. He's looking like up under his eyebrows and he has murder in his eyes
0: another he has murder in his hands and he pushes him (laughs) over okay another classical painting moment you know that one painting of the devil who's like doing this
1: uh you're gonna have to explain that to the audience because i can see you
0: it's it's that caravaggio (laughs) painting of uh the the devil and his like hand is reaching forward so you can only see his eyes like glowering and Cadricula sort of a Dracula, like red rim, you know, around <laughs> his eye. Uh mm-hmm. I've seen some really beautiful paintings of, you know, Ed in his full kraken makeup doing that pose. But I think this moment fits it just so well. And not only that, but the, the piano piece that was playing over the love montage extended into this scene where, mm-hmm. you know, Ed was also remembering moments in the moonlight and then it ends on a minor chord the song gets interrupted when he uh like you said flips that switch Mm -hmm. and then he smiles just a little yeah and then shoves lucius over and and very comedically lucius boot flies up in the air before it it goes over (sighs) and
1: and and ed just or the Kraken, I'm going to call him the Kraken now, just goes into the ship like nothing has happened. Like he does not, like the idea of killing a man does not bother him at all. Like, it, like we've seen it before where he mm-hmm. talked about like, you know, I've only ever killed
0: yeah. one person. This yeah. is his first murder. His first laying on of hands murder.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he goes into full transformation. He colors in the scruff of his beard black and he's got weird eye makeup and he's got his leather back on. And um,
0: I would like to it's... read the lyrics of the song that's playing over this. Um, uh-huh. It's Avalanche by Leonard Cohen. Um, so here's just just two uh, two verses of the lyrics. But well, I stepped into an avalanche, it covered up my soul. When I am not this hunchback that you see, I sleep beneath the golden hill. You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn. Learn to serve me well. You who wish to conquer pain, you must learn what makes me kind. The crumbs of love that you offer me, they're the crumbs I've left behind. Your pain is no credential here. It's just the shadow. Shadow of my wound. Ooh. And uh, as Ed's doing his gear-up montage, which includes full gloves over his hands, Mm. where he's only had fingerless gloves before because now he's eschewing human touch, Uh, I was like, oh, I gotta warn Emily. I gotta warn her. And I said, Emily, (laughs) mute your TV and close your eyes because this, I think, is the worst moment of the season because... This is, this is, you know, he literally joked about this exact scenario in the last episode. And then goes, yuck, what's funny
1: about that? (laughs) For a brief moment, I, before like the scene, before the camera like zooms up, I thought it was Wee John lying there. And I thought Blackbeard was going to go through and murder everyone because he had just shoved Lucas off the ship. And at first I was just like, why Lucas? But we've already, Lucius, but we've already talked about that Lucius is his emotional, his conscience, yeah, support person. Um, and he
0: got rid no, of him. It's just he Izzy sent his, his dog in his to undies.
1: doggy heaven. Oh no! <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: but it's not we, John. It's Izzy, and Blackbeard cuts off one of
0: his one of Izzy's toes and makes him eat it. And the reason I had you mute it, as well as just cover your eyes is there's some pretty grody sound design of him chewing the toe before he swallows ah. it. Yeah. No great. No good. Not good. But and... he's like, he's almost happy about it. Like he's. He is, is. So,
1: so in any other scenario, this would be someone literally waking up to a nightmare. This is Izzy's dream come true. This he's is all he wanted. He does
0: Problems. okay so i was with a bunch of friends at the renaissance fair i don't know if you guys are sick of me mentioning this or not um but we came across the
1: renaissance fair <laughs> yeah i
0: don't know if you've heard about the renaissance fair we came across a pair of cosplayers uh dressed as ed and izzy more specifically dressed as the kraken and izzy and ah. You know, our group was just complimenting on them and, like, how much we all love the show and, and you know, joking about, oh, is is Ed treating you well these days, Izzy? Sorry, is the Kraken treating you well these days, Izzy? And the person who's dressed up as the Kraken says, actually, I've been making him eat toes all day. And we're like, oh, ha, 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 very funny. (laughs) They drew out of their pocket a bag of... Slim Jims that had been sliced up into Toe sized pieces
1: They pulled it out of the
0: bag and in front Of us stuffed it into the Izzy Mouth and shoved it to their Hand over their mouth to make them chew And we're all just sitting there like What the f-? <laughs> uh, But in a happy That's story amazing. it turns out Vika who plays Jim was at the fair uh, yet Yesterday as Well in Izzy costume. And they had got to do the same bit for Vico. And I'm like, congrats, uh-huh. that's that's got to be a fun feeling. So, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, Emily. Remember all the times when we talked about Izzy? And it is about how violence is his love language and it's the only it's the only emotion that he understands and he he's good at what cost uh, Izzy <laughs> Listen, I I don't need someone to teach Izzy to be soft, okay? I don't want to completely transform him into someone he's not. I just I just need someone to teach him that there's more. I just need him to find out, you know. It doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to hurt in order to deserve your partner. Yeah.
1: I feel that this is a role that he's just played his whole life.
0: Yeah. And
1: this is the role that all of his, whether it's business partners or whatever, have expected of him. And he's never had the opportunity to learn anything else. He could have with Steed, but he got rid of Steed
0: mm-hmm the so. end of the scene is so good where he's like we have a lot of work to do and then izzy says uh shall i summon the boy to take notes and the kraken says don't bother he's dead yeah. then emily what's going in the water They make the crew clean out Steed's
1: cabin and toss everything overboard. I didn't see if the plant survived or not. I didn't see if that got tossed over. Mm -hmm. But all the books, oh, this hurt my heart so bad because all the books are going overboard. This is Steed's pride and joy. But the Kraken is literally getting rid of everything that could remind Edward of Steed.
0: Although I would like to point out They only get rid of things that are visible in the cabin. And they don't open the secret compartment into the auxiliary wardrobe. Mm. Because Izzy doesn't know about the auxiliary wardrobe. Only Ed knows. Yeah. So there are... There's... I know we're ending the season in a dark place. But there's still hope to hold on to. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's see... Going so through, going through. Uh, we go from the cold, dim life on the ship to another golden morning in bed. And now Mary wakes up and Steed's there and she's like, did you make me breakfast in bed? And he says, no, that was Doug. And she turns and Doug is there.
1: <laughs> I love that the two men in her life are there to like, like support her and figure out a solution to their problem. And basically what they have done is they go to Evelyn and they're explaining that they want to fake Steed's death and they need a body of approximately Steed's, you know, shape, size, age, whatever. And also we get to borrow her pet cheetah as part of this, which I think is great.
0: The cheetah is a celebrity. Okay. Uh, that is the same cheetah that's in the WAP music video. <laughs> <laughs> Who's his or her agent?
1: I think that would be a fun job. <laughs> yep. Um, and I knew, I knew exactly what was happening the minute we saw this next scene. Is they have found this tiny rock. Like there are a few, there's a few other rocks on it and there's a few palm trees on it. But Izzy has brought uh the crew out to this this uh armpit of an island just saying like hey uh we're going to do a talent show out here and we'll bring we'll bring Ed out in a minute and and I knew he was marooning them. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But like Black Pete is dressed up in like a face white face paint and like a powdered wig and people have got juggling stuff and like they're they're prepared to put on a show and who's out there buttons is out there sweet is out there olu uh black pete roach roach Wee john
0: i think that's it yeah uh emily do you know what it's time for what it's time for historical accuracies in this episode. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. All right. The historical accuracies in this episode <laughs> include the fact <laughs> that uh, after they signed the, uh, after they both signed the pardon, the act of grace, mm-hmm. Blackbeard ended up stripping the ship, the revenge, and marooning steed bonnet's crew offshore oh no so this is historic i can't (laughs) believe it but the end of this season is historically accurate um and then something else i want to point out is sadly uh steed bonnet was hanged for his crimes uh he
1: didn't get pardoned by act of grace
0: no uh so because some other because they both i think they both might have ducked out of the act of grace um but he was hanged when he was he carried a bouquet of wilted flowers with him to the gallows and held it while he was hanging which i believe the bouquet of broken flowers that steed's holding is an homage to that historical fact so (laughs) there you have it historical facts in this episode i
1: love that david jenkins well done, sir.
0: Well done, sir. What do you think everyone's talents are? Can you divine or deduce?
1: I think Black Pete's was going to be a, a monologue. Oh, and I forgot. Okay. Um, he's talking to Izzy and he's like, are you sure you couldn't find Lucius? He loves this sort of thing. Like Black Pete, I is he doesn't seem worried, but he's definitely like, I want Lucius to be here. Where is he? Like he notices that Lucius is gone. Um... Uh, Olu has a a stick with a rope tied on it, so I don't know if he's going to be doing ribbon dancing. Um, Roach says he thinks his talent is juggling. We will see. Um, I don't know what what Wee John had. I I didn't see what his thing was. Maybe he was going to be... Oh, drum. Wee John has a
0: small drum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what did the Swede bring to the island?
1: Oh, I missed that. What did he bring?
0: He brought a little wooden puppet. (laughs) Oh, He brought a very crudely carved marionette.
1: I was sad we didn't get to hear him sing again.
0: Yeah. Maybe the puppet would have sang.
1: Maybe. Uh, Mr. Bums, uh, I'm sure, was going to do
0: his like weird like, oh, oh again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would like to point out when Lucius uh, sorry, when Black Pete says Lucius would love this sort of thing, Wee John does say, I'm sure he'll turn up.
1: Oh, that's right. He's like, the ship isn't that big. Because Lucius has yeah. gone missing once before on the ship.
0: Mm-hmm. It's Although, when technically Jim... this time he's gone missing off the ship. It's, true. So, uh.
1: it's when Jim locked him in the crate.
0: We have been exercising together because we want our bodies to be smaller. Everything's fine. <laughs> but the rest
1: of the crew is still on their revenge and the Kraken is recruiting them to the point that it's really creepy. Like uh like the Kraken is lit from behind, all the curtains are drawn. This is total atmosphere. He's turning this cabin into what his ship's cabin previously was when we saw him before, where he was like still kind of like in the dark. But he's definitely doing an atmosphere thing and it's freaking Jim and Frenchie out. Which it should,
0: yeah. But there, because been... Frenchie comes in and sees Jim's body on the floor because mm-hmm. uh, Fang used his stun move on Jim.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so they've been invited to join the crew. I say invited. They have basically been uh, uh, kidnapped and like absorbed into Blackbeard's crew, which. I'm worried for them because Blackbeard's crew is really mean. And like at one point, um, because Jim's been rendered unconscious, and at one point later when they make Frenchie hoist this new flag, and we'll talk about the new flag when we get there, but he has to do so at gunpoint. Frenchie is really being held hostage as well. Um, But the reason they kept him is they said, Can you sew? And I assumed it was they were going to keep him so he could sew up any wounds or bullet wounds or stab wounds or whatever. But turns out, uh, Kraken wants Frenchie to add to the pirate flag. And we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to jump yeah. ahead too much. Um,
0: um, I am very much looking forward to Frenchie and Jim's season two black leather boy band looks. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wonder how they're how they're gonna how they're gonna do that because like you said, everyone has a very specific look and everyone has I mean, with the exception of Blackbeard and Steed, everyone has the same outfit the whole way through. All the pirates have mm-hmm. their look. And I would be interested to I'd be interested to read about how much of the look was costuming and how much input the actors got to give on their pirate background and their pirate
0: clothes (laughs) um i know roach had the actor played roach samba he did an interview where he talked a lot about the the influence and the input he had into his outfit and one of the things he specifically asked for were the the small like almost dreads in his uh in his beard Mm -hmm. um that he wanted six of them because he wanted it to feel like a cockroach on his face Ew. and so like if you look closely he has six small little twists in his beard i mean that makes sense
1: i wonder does he say if that's his real beard or if that was a, a glue on
0: no they were it would have been a prosthetic okay all right um let's see uh
1: i think that, um so i feel like steed is the origin of the fairy tales because when he leaves the ship for good, the fairy tale feeling is gone. And we have evil evil Kraken again. And the I say this because the plan that they have to fake Steed's death should not have worked. It's very cartoonish, it's very slapstick. But I think because he's there, it works. And basically what it is, is um, Steed comes into town declaring his love for his wife, whom he, and he's apologizing and he's brought the flowers, Megan, like you said. um, And the people in on it have spread rumors around town that there's a wild cat loose and everybody better watch out. And uh, (laughs) basically how they've set it up is the cheetah shows up, Runs after Ed, corners him in an empty store, and Ed makes a whole bunch of noise while the cat just chomps down on chicken, which never feeds your pet chicken bones ever, ever,
0: ever. I feel, though, that leopards eat big bird bones in their real lives, though, right? Those of you who
1: have pets other than cheetahs, don't
0: feed them chicken bones, (laughs)
1: Um, while Steed is smearing pig's blood all over him. And he comes out and he says something like, oh, don't blame the cat. It was just doing what it was, like, born to do or something to that effect. (laughs) And then... (laughs) I thought this had gone wrong. I didn't realize this was part of the the, the Mm -hmm. trick for a minute. But a carriage zooms through town, appears to hit Steed. It stops. So Steed is between the carriage and the empty store. Um, The person... He gets in the he gets in the carriage, pulls out the body that is dressed like Steed, and Steed jumps hops in the carriage, and the carriage zooms away. And so people are like, "Oh, he could have survived that because they think the body laying on the ground is Steed." And this part I told again, <laughs> it's a piano falling and smushing the body. That's the <laughs> dumbest thing I could think of, and it was brilliant. It was so funny. This was probably the funniest part of the whole thing is the piano falling on the body and really smushing this poor dude.
0: I do like they included a wrap-up scene with Steed and his kids, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with his daughter. Um, And it shows that she, like, understands what's going on because I think she was really angry at him for leaving as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's made a wonderful compromise and split his petrified orange in half. So instead of leaving... You know, running off to sea and leaving everything, you know, like leaving nothing behind. Blah. So instead of running off to sea and leaving nothing behind, uh, now she has something to remember him by, which yeah. I think is sweet and I love that. But it's all in preparation for some pageantry.
1: And Steed is able to go off and row into the golden sunset. And in a dinghy that he's just going to jump in the boat and and hit the ocean that way. Um, Hi.
0: Hi, it's me. Hi. I'm here to talk about this scene specifically. I'm ready. Uh, before he goes, mm-hmm. he tells Mary that he's not taking any of his money this time. Oh, that's right. He is leaving her all of his family fortunes because we have heard Time and again, only peasants can marry for love. Mm -hmm. And that he completely bought his way into being an authentic pirate the first time. Aww. And uh, this time he's going with... Oh, wait, we're skipping way to the end. We're skipping too far, I think. No. Right? Because the people on the... He just drives away in the carriage and then we got to talk about the crew that's on the Maroon Island. We talked about that. We oh, didn't talk, did we about talk about the how Swede almost were getting... Burned?
1: Yeah, we didn't. We talked about them being marine. We did not talk about the Sweet almost being eaten.
0: Right. I was very worried. All right. Uh, listen, y'all, we've been recording for a while. I don't know if you've noticed. So a couple quick flags before we get through. Uh, Kraken says farewell bonnets play things as they're sailing away. It is the only time he's ever called him bonnet instead of steed. Mm -hmm. Steed sails away gets... Oh, yeah. No, you're right. I was at the wrong spot. Steve sails away. He gets on a boat. All right. He is in, once again, the clothes he was wearing from Wayward Seaman Camp. And he's returning to the moment where he abandoned Ed before. And he is doing it right this time. And he's going into the Golden Sunset like he was meant to Mm -hmm. and uh i love it so much he's not being forced into this he's not leaving a mess behind he's you know resolved his issues he's talked it through he's prepared for what comes next and really he is looking pretty darn heroic in these (laughs) shots right you know he's looked silly In before times but you know when reese is finally rowing that boat i'm like sir your forearms and we can see the town in barbados where he grew up vanishing in the distance as mary eulogizes him and then emily we cut to the kraken izzy's got frenchie at gunpoint and they're raising the flag tell me about the new addition to the flag and he's drinking heavily yep um, yep. I feel like this is
1: going to be the new normal for the Kraken, uh, for Ed mm-hmm. is to be drunk all the time because this is not a place he wants to be, emotionally or mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they've got Frenchie at gunpoint, and I talked a little bit the reason earlier they wanted someone who could sew because uh, he added on to Blackbeard's flag a whole extra strip with a heart. And it looks like the figure is stabbing the heart, and I love, I love that they had, they had kept that out and then added this at the end. I think that was Mm -hmm. a great acting, directing choice. Uh,
0: Originally, I was surprised that the red piece of silk that he let it go, I thought he was going to cut it up to add it to the flag. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I would much rather Steed find it because when uh, when Ed does let the piece of silk go, we don't see it hit the water. It gets picked up on the wind and it's like it flies away almost like a bird. And I like to imagine it's the last piece of the fairy tale magic escaping the ship mm-hmm. and it's just going to find Steed wherever he is on the ocean somewhere in season two.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: but. But. What does ed do in his room when he's alone he sits well first
1: of all he has cleared everything out it is empty it is completely empty um and he's sitting in the window curled up crying the only thing he has left of steed is the light the the lighthouse painting and it's not just like oh i'm kind of sad a couple tears trailing down he's weeping he is in a bad Bad place. Um, he has done things that he has not wanted to do, and I think he feels trapped.
0: Do you know why? Um, do you know why he kept the lighthouse painting? Why? Because to remember that technically you're supposed to avoid lighthouses so you don't cracking up on the rocks. Oh, dear. <laughs> Well, and I crew... feel emotionally, he feels cracked up on the rocks right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's not in a good place. Um, And there's no one that he can talk to about this. He's gotten rid of everyone. He's gotten rid of Lucius, who can help him make sense of this. He doesn't have Steed anymore. He got rid of everything that reminded him of Steed. He is just like, he's denied himself this happiness. And I think he is deliberately punishing himself not he's making no attempt to get out of this he is going to do everything he can really
0: like i said to punish himself Mm -hmm. and we we cut to the marooned crew and buttons is finally getting to fulfill the season the episode two prophecy of of eating the crew poor swede running around screaming uh roach is in on it and then Olu sees something up on the horizon. And he's like, no way. No
1: way. And it's Steed in his dinghy. And he found him. He found
0: him. I, when we were recording uh, episode nine, you're like, how's Steed going to find anything in the middle of the ocean? And I'm like, <laughs> he has his ways. So, Emily, I know season one is a bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah. But can I get your general thoughts? Really fast.
1: So the Swede's running around. They're trying to eat him. Roach and and Buttons are trying to eat the Swede. And everyone else just, like, looks so bored. Just like, okay, this is happening. (laughs) All right, ask your question again. I'm so sorry.
0: That is our first season. I am sorry it ends on a cliffhanger. I, I really did think by the time we recorded this episode, they would have announced <laughs> season two. But can I get some of your overall thoughts on season one of Our Flag Means Death? Yes. So um, listeners, we
1: re- we watched this and immediately have recorded it. So I haven't had a lot of time to come up with theories, but this is just off the top of my head. I think that when Steed finds Blackbeard again, Ed, Kraken, whoever, he is going to be so horrified by what's happened that he abandoned the crew, that he killed, quote unquote, did not really, but killed Lucius, um, you know, uh, cut people's toes off and made them eat them. Here's what I'm afraid of, is that he's going to say, basically, I don't like the person you are. And they're going to split and go off separately and become, not enemies, that's not what I'm saying, but they're not going to be on the same ship and they're going to keep running into each other as rivals, but like pining rivals. That's what I think is going to happen.
0: They're, uh, I think season two is going to be enemies to lovers. hmm hmm Um, yeah. and I also think that the way we had the buildup to meeting Blackbeard in episode four, Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to make a very specific prediction and that Steed and Ed are going to be back together romantically by episode four. And then the remainder of the season will be like trying to get back on even footing. That might just be wishful thinking for me. Well,
1: because um, we talked a little bit about... Steed kind of coming into his own as a captain in the last episode. And I think he is, he's much more confident and capable than he was in episode one, you know, in the beginning episodes, he really has grown as a person. Um, And so I'm going to say he doesn't need Blackbeard anymore in that way to teach him the ropes. Um, So I don't know, like, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. Cause remember Mary's beautiful, Um, beautiful speech about we do this and this and this together. Um, I don't, even with the fairy tale veil or gauze or wool over people's eyes, I think Steed is going to have a really hard time with what Ed has decided to do. Um, so yeah, yeah. And I, and I'm, what I'm hoping doesn't happen is I personally detest uh, miscommunication as a trope. I, it can be done well, but it usually isn't. It's usually like, well, if you listened for two seconds, you could fix this. Um, so I, I don't know how they're going to, how he's going to explain to Ed why he chose to leave. Maybe he was going to say, I was always going to come back, but... Ed, I think was so betrayed by that, that it's not going to be a, oh, everything's fine. Now I'm here. Like he did with his wife and kids. Like, I think he's learned that that's not what's going to happen. I think there's going to need, I think both of them are going to have to give a very separate grand gestures to the other person to prove, hey, I, I still, I still love you. I still want to be with you. Yeah.
0: What happened to Lucius? Where is he?
1: He's fine. The mermaids found him. And he's on some beautiful tropical island, surrounded by people who appreciate him.
0: Uh, nobody will do anything he asks because all of the mermaids are lesbians and his <laughs> uh, powers of persuasion, wink, don't work on them. <laughs> <laughs> will we meet any more of Spanish Jackie's husbands? Yes. Yes, I think
1: so. Um, I, again... Don't want to wish worst enemies upon worst enemies. But I think, I think Izzy, I think Spanish Jackie could make it work with Izzy. I think she could help Uh, fulfill the murderous desires of his heart.
0: Let's see. What else? Okay. So, historically, this show takes place in 1717. Mm Mm-hmm you should know that both blackbeard and steed died in 1718 Boo. however i think since steed is already legally dead that uh i think that counts for him
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i like the idea of the plan that they had in season one that they'll actually get to do it in season two mm-hmm. new names new identities everything but here, here is the historical fact about Blackbeard that I think is going to heavily influence season two. So, uh, one of the most famous things that Blackbeard did is he blockaded a town in, I want to say Carolina. Let me look up the one of give the. Give me a second Carolinas. to look this up. My reference isn't isn't loading do okay yeah south carolina so uh blackbeard did a huge blockade of charleston south carolina in 1718 um he came in both with the queen anne's revenge which was his main ship uh three other vessels he stopped every ship trying to leave port and completely plundered them no vessels could come in or leave the harbor because of this pirate blockade Mm -hmm. and he captured a group of citizens off uh the things as well and he held these hostages for ransom and emily what was the ransom demand would you like to guess uh spices nope
1: oh is it gold nope women
0: nope what was it rum it was oh sorry i thought he said rocks i'm like why would he want rocks <laughs> he said rum uh, he wanted medicine specifically a treatment for syphilis <laughs> <laughs> It is likely that there was a really horrific syphilis outbreak on board his (laughs) ship and they needed a way to take care of it. Why can't they just go buy Um, some? It's expensive. And apparently they needed a lot of it. Uh, Eventually they did get the medicine and he stripped all the hostages and sent them back. Uh, And just, you know, like pretty soon after this, uh, his ships got run aground and the the main theory is that he did it in order to downsize his crew and increase his own shares of treasure. Mm-hmm. This is this is just after, sorry, this is just before he accepted his act of grace. Mm-hmm. He got his pardon and potentially retired, but he ended up getting back in the game and then dying in a sea battle um, some months later. But I believe. This is my big season two theory. Mm -hmm. Instead of this town in South Carolina, I think Ed is going to blockade the town in Barbados that Steed is from. Okay. Uh, Because he's going to find out that Steed went home. And he's going to surround this town and say, no one goes in or out until you bring me Steed Bonnet. And this is how he's going to find out that Steed died oh interesting uh and mostly i just want him and mary to get to know each other and i want them to have a scene by steed's graveside and for her to realize she's like oh my gosh it's blackbeard you're blackbeard but for during the conversation for her to realize his name is ed and she's gonna put the pieces together and be like he went to go find you anyway that is what i want i want blackbeard to blockade barbados and i want him and mary to talk about ed i mean steed (laughs) and then ed
1: i am going to throw in one more thing that i would love if if he ends up with multiple ships i want olu to be captain of one of them yeah yeah (laughs)
0: I want Fang to get a dog.
1: (laughs) Me too! I want... They announced the talent show. We didn't talk about this, but Fang, on on screen, has a... Like, he covers his mouth with his hand, and he's so excited that there's going to be a talent show. This man belongs with Steed's crew. Like, he belongs with this crew, so... Alrighty. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well... Uh, Ladies and gentlemen And those who use they and them This brings us to the end Of our first coverage Yep Uh, We are going to Still keep going on this uh, podcast Uh, If HBO Max Renews it for a season 2 Don't worry we will be back for that Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime It is now Emily's turn To pick our next project to cover Emily can you tell us a little bit about the Book We will be covering. Yes. So this uh, next bit we're going to
1: do is a book that I read and really, really loved. It is called One to Watch by Kate Stamen London. Uh, She's an amazing author. This is her first published book. She's written a ton of television episodes. um, But it is about a plus-size woman who is uh, basically like a – I'm not going to say influencer, but she's a a plus-size blogger. And she gets really drunk one night and writes a blog post about kind of like really dumping on The Bachelorette and how that's not like a true representation of America and and love and things like that. And it garners so much viral interest that she is invited on the next season of The Bachelorette to be The Bachelorette. And I just loved yeah. it so much and it's a fun, it's a fun read. And so Megan, I'm really excited. That's the book we're going to, we're going to do next. It's probably 250-ish nice. pages. It's not very long, so.
0: And what do you think? We're going to cover it in like 40, 50 pages at a stretch? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll split so. up the pages and, and we'll go from there. So. Okay
0: yeah so that that will probably be between five and eight episodes of podcast coverage Mm -hmm. um and then after that uh it's my turn to choose again and emily and i will be covering the first two seasons of mob psycho 100 yeah so yeah uh thanks for jumping in on our miscellaneous feed you can also find us on two Other feeds, one dedicated to the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson and the other solely for the 1999 edition of the Roswell Television Show. I'm Uh, trying
1: to convince her to also watch the new one. So we'll see how that goes.
0: Listen, the the podcast is not called My Sister Convinced Me to Do It. (laughs) If you want me to read it, I can just have to read it no watch it that one (laughs) it's very
1: late oh you all are wonderful thank you for sticking us thank you for sticking with us through these 10 episodes we have had so much fun i hope you have had fun too we just really enjoy doing this for fun
0: that's just what we do it for yeah ask us anything you want to know about marriage (laughs) apparently (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll give you our two cents <laughs> uh, well um well until season two we bid you adieu
1: that was lovely uh
0: i gotta get back to writing up some design notes
1: i gotta go to bed so i can get up and go to my job in the morning
0: <gasps> all right i believe in you i believe in you Ready, Ready, break. I can't believe it. We have completely finished our first coverage of a thing all the way to the end. It's amazing. Ah, so. We are, again, taking this feed off vacation for the rest of September, but Roswell and Stormlight Archive will continue on. And you'll all be just so relieved to know I have figured out my sound setup, so you will no longer hear me fidgeting and bumping the mic or the table constantly, all the time, while I am talking. (laughs) Special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm, in our episode intro and outro. And as you enter this little hiatus time between now and then, hey, how about you tell a friend about our podcast or tweet us any questions you have about marriage or piracy at sismademeviewit Me View It on Twitter. Anyway, I love you all and I wish you great luck on your immediate future endeavors. I know you can accomplish them because I believe in you. Bye.